Welcome to Friends You Wish You Had. Uh, I don't know if we are those friends this week. Every week I... You know what? We are those friends, because we all need friends right now, because we're in a tough spot. I got myself riled up. I, I, I started by getting myself riled up by seeing friends of mine on Facebook posting, like, you know, this pandemic is a terrible thing, and people need to wear masks, you know, all this stuff. And then, like, the comments from their family members and like you know that live in Ohio and all these other places just like all the all the madness of like you know I saw one friend on Facebook show his family members like a hundred charts about how serious COVID is and they just said fake news man that's it done fake news fake numbers fake charts um there's this thing that everyone you know that people don't think it's a big deal are all saying that you know that the deaths are Hospitals are making money, and it's good for a hospital to say someone died from COVID, even when they didn't, which is just madness. You know, well, it's not madness. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, well, it is, it, it's true that hospitals get some subsidies when they have COVID patients, especially COVID patients, you know, but, but my God, like, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into like the truth. I feel like a lot of people know the truth, but like you look at like the little details. Like I know firemen who were like, we're finding more dead bodies than we ever have in our entire careers. Georgia has, you know, three times more pneumonia deaths than it usually does out of the blue, I guess, you know, just so Florida. Like, so is Florida. You know, if anything, they're undercounting, um, you know, and just anecdotally, I know doctors that are just crying every day. I know doctors that are, like, yelling at their own family. I know doctors that are telling their family members this is serious, and the family members don't believe their relative who is doing COVID response in a hospital. It's just, it's pathetic, you know, and I see the QAnon people. I, I shouldn't have gone to their Twitter feeds. I was just curious which of the ones that I had seen in the past had been purged by the twitter purge and it's just it's just pathetic everything's fake the vaccine is the vaccine is gonna put a microchip on us like i'm just this country is doomed i mean not like these people didn't exist in the past so doomed might be a strong word but it's just and that's just covid let alone federal agents being sent to different cities and all that shit and protests and Tom Cotton. God, I can't stand Tom Cotton. And whatever the hell that guy's name is who called the Cortez a bitch. What are we doing? You knew that guy had to be from Florida. I feel like when I heard that story, I was like, who said it? And not yeah. that it would make it in any way acceptable that if it was a Republican, someone from New York, basically. But at least yeah. it's like all in the family. Like they're all in one congressional what do you call it? Not district, uh, congressional delegation. They know each other. It would still make the guy a tremendous misogynist prick, but yeah. it was more personal, you know, yeah. it was kind of family, but just to have some dipshit from Florida, single her out. And you know, he's out there raising money based on what he said. I bet if you go to social media and you looked him up, he's like, send me 10 bucks. Someone's got to stand up to AOC. Um, but it, just the typical Florida Republican, you know, this state is like the capital of Republicanism. It's not even Texas. That's how terrible it is in Florida. 
I just have no idea why people hate her so much. I just, a million reasons. She's a radical leftist. She's a woman. She's young. I mean, I guess every single possible, you know, thing that just pisses people off. She's a radical leftist young woman. How dare she? I think it's interesting today, all the sort of corporate, moderate Dems, whatever you want to call them, are praising AOC today and talking about how bold she is and all women are AOC. And it just shows you these guys, these people, when it comes to something like personal like that, they're all for the AOCs and the Bernies, you know. But when it comes to actually getting policy done that would help people and help redistribute some of the wealth and cure some of these problems. She's the devil. She's the radical, you know, now I'm not even talking about the Republicans. I'm talking about the Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, moderate corporate Democrat type that, you know, that runs the party. I don't know if you saw yesterday, the house overwhelmingly voted not to cut the defense budget. You know, a lot of Democrats voted that way. Um, not even, I mean, cut by 10%, you know, they wouldn't even vote to trim 10% out of the defense budget. Um, it's crazy. So very interesting, but you know, today's the day when they give AOC all the love, but when she proposes the green new deal or Medicare for all, um, or stronger labor laws, those same moderate Dems are like, I'm not, I'm not with her. You know, she's crazy when they go to all these high price fundraisers and, you know, do the, the, the tap dance for the wealthy when they get their money in the in the arms manufacturers and the power companies and the chemical companies and the healthcare companies they don't want anything to do with AOC on those days but on a day like today they're all proud of her they're all like glad to be her fellow Democrat and it just so shows you how they exploit that shit but right. yeah the thing I think to me when I look at the situation is I feel like there's a lot of us out there that we're voting for Biden. We don't even have to give it a thought. Like we could be in a a hermetically sealed bubble between now and election day. And there's nothing that he could do or that Trump could do that we would change our vote. So it's fait accompli. So we have all this time and energy on our hands. And I think we should be doing, we should be doing some serious thinking about what we're going to do when Trump gets reelected. Because it's easy if Biden wins, it doesn't take any thought, like he's going to win and whatever, the next thing will happen. But what are we going to do when Trump gets reelected? Because I'm more terrified of that than I've ever been. Like, obviously, it's getting closer to the reelection. But I just think people underestimate Republicans and Republicanism. You know, we've talked about this before, but I'm in Florida. Like, you know, Florida is a state that supports Trump. Like, you know, when you go to New York, like people just look at Trump, like, how is this possible? You know what? There's no way there could be Americans that could support this guy. Unless Joe Biden. they're out there. Yeah. And they're out there. And there's a lot of time to go. And all Trump has to do is like tamp it down 10%, you know, and today he's all like canceling the RNC because we've got to be safe and wear masks and, and all of these people are going to come home to the Republican Party and Donald Trump. And that's not to say he can't be beaten, of course. I just think it's going to be a super close election. And, you know, we should be thinking about what happens when he gets reelected. You know, not what happens when Biden wins. Like, there's nothing to be gained by thinking about that. Like, we're going to vote for the guy. Like, you know, we don't have any control over it. Maybe he'll win. Maybe he won't. But what are you going to do when Trump gets reelected? And then how does that change what you're going to do between now and election day? 
Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm, not, I'm certainly not planning for when Biden's going to win. I, I'm too superstitious to think that far ahead. I'm going to need some sort of pills or something. I'm going to need to borrow some Xanax for my mom. Like, leading up to the day of the election, like, oh, man, if Biden isn't up by 20 points on the day of the election, not just in national polls, but in, like, every single swing state, I don't know how I'm going to handle that day. I, I just, I'm too sensitive for this shit. It's going to be brutal. You know? I yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, uh, anyway, baseball's back. And that's also just depressing me because I'm watching the first game and I'm just like not even confident that they're going to finish the season. Like one of the stars for the Washington Nationals got tested positive for COVID like two hours, three hours before the game. Seeing what, because the NBA is also starting back up and seeing all the procedures that they're going through and how they're all in this hermetically, well, it's not literally hermetically sealed, but in the bubble. And then you've got baseball teams flying from city to city. And then I'm just watching them on the field, like all walking around talking to each other without masks. And it's like, that doesn't look good. No, and then, so Juan Soto gets it. And so he didn't play today. And now the Nationals, like, one of the things they're worried about is how many other players got it. And so a lot of players came back negative, but they, when they found out Soto tested positive, they retested all the players. That test's not going to be available. The results aren't going to be available until tomorrow. Now they're saying that they're not, that they decided to play today's game because contact tracing told them that Soto wasn't close enough or, uh, you know, uh, to the other players on the team and they think it's going to be okay. But like, yeah, like it's, it's almost, it seems almost inevitable. I mean, I hope not that one of these teams, especially as you said, teams that are flying different places, one guy gets it. Other people are going to get it before you know it. five, six, seven guys in a team go down, um, have to be out for two weeks. You might have a whole team that can't play, you know, it, it's, and like the NFL, I mean, man, it's just the NBA seems like the only possible thing that's going to like be able to do this unscathed because of that bubble thing. But like, how are the how's the NFL going to do it? Fifty-two players or whatever on a team, all that stuff. I wonder with the NFL if what part of what they're waiting for a little bit because they've been a little seem seems like they've been a little disorganized. Yeah, getting things together with their plan and they've been you know they got called out by their players last weekend but you know there's a lot of money on the line is I wonder if they're waiting to see what's going to happen with college football when the NFL finds out for sure that college isn't going to come back they're going to go to a, a tv system where they're playing games like four nights a week you know and they spread the schedule out and that's how they're going to make up the revenue because I don't think they can have fans I you know I think they are still talking like they might be able to, but that's a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. They're talking about doing what NASCAR is doing, where you have you have a lower percentage of fans, socially distanced. Everyone has to wear a mask, you know. You know, but like if you look at a NASCAR crowd, it looks like you know it looks like there's a hundred people in a massive stadium. It's like very low numbers that they're allowing in. Well, but I just think you're right. But it's the revenue. You know, the estimates are that the NBA is losing forty percent of its revenue from not having fans in the in you know in these in a packed arena. Basically, it's like forty percent of an owner's revenue. I mean, that's a huge hit. You know, that's a huge hit. 
Yeah. Um, so I think if the NFL could make up for it by playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, where every game is, you know, almost every game is on as opposed to just your, you know, local market. And I think they could move to something like that. And, you know, maybe they're kind of waiting to see, but I, I think all these owners are there don't know what to do financially. You know, I think it's, there's like a lot of moving pieces and a lot of lost revenue and, you know, a lot of commitments in, in salary to these players this season. And well, even if you cancel this season, you know, what about next season and how do you cancel the season? So I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to figure out. It's a testament. I feel like to the NBA owners, I feel like in the league that they were able to jump on top of it. I think more and more the bubble concept is going to become more popular. So I feel like it's going to be the only way to have any kind of safety in the workplace. You know, even then it's not a hundred percent, but I think you might see the same thing with movies, you know, to make a movie, you're basically going to have to go live in, you know, it's going to be like going away to to summer camp. You're going to have to live in a dorm and be on location the whole time, but you know, you're not going to be able to leave. Um, Yeah. You know, and other kind of big projects like that, you know, it's not a hundred percent safe, but I think it's the best they can do. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of people losing a lot of money, you know, a lot of people not getting paid. And, you know, it's a risk, but I think they're going to take it. But that's going to be the safety compromise they're going to begrudgingly know they all have to do. Yeah, and just going back to things that are just depressing me, you know, Science Science Magazine has recently started talking about, you know, polling, like a couple of weeks ago, was showing 50% of Americans plan to, to get the COVID vaccine when it's yeah. available. Yeah, I think Isn't I think there'll be about- a lot of pressure and from the people's workplaces to do that. You know, I, I think when the time comes for that, I'm less worried about that. I think it's just right now it's a lot of talk and speculation and no one knows anything and there's no leadership about it. So if there's no leadership about it, certainly that trend could continue. But I think it if is, there's yeah. leadership about it, and I just think give it six, eight months, Trump is going to be like, go out there and get your vaccine. You know what I mean? It's the inevitable whether you want to be a dictator or you want to be a, a great president, you know, you got to stop the spread of this virus. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't think it's uh, the, the plan is to, to not stop it. You know, speaking it's of, just gross incompetence. And this guy takes him a year to catch up. Speaking of bubbles, I did see one of these QAnon people say, you know, that they would, they wish that we could just take every idiot that wants to wear a mask and, and get the vaccine to all live in one big community together and then take every real true American who's not a sheep and refuses to wear a mask and refuses to get a vaccine. They should all live in their own community together. And then, and then we'll see six months from now who's doing better health wise. And I was just like, Oh God, I wish that would happen. That would be the, that would be an absolute dream for me. Not that I'm, you know, I'm not excited to watch a bunch of idiots die, but Boy, it would sure be nice to get the idiots out of my community so that we could all live in peace. I think I think you've just spelled out the entertainment proposition of the of the internet and social media, or not of the internet of social media right there. Yeah, is to follow this group of this seemingly group of people that are just so crazy that they'll say anything. You know, <laughs> and it's hard to look away. There's more people that probably look at it like you who are like, "How do people say this?" than people that read it who are followers and believers. Man, 
Yeah, you know, but it, 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 the thing is, I just have it's to like be a careful. terrible joke that never has a punchline. It's just always yeah. going. I just that's the problem, man. The punchline part, like that's why I like this whole idea of take all the idiots, put them in one community, and take everyone who wants to wear a mask and put them in another. We'll get our punchline, and it'll be over. And well, actually, even then, there won't be a punchline because they'll come up with a million. They'll probably end up acute. You know, they'll probably say that they're. You know that big pharma is secretly infecting our community, and that's why people are dying, so that they'll trick us into coming into the vaccine community. They'll I mean, just some keep of the moving st- on. They'll just keep up in the ante. Whatever happens, they're just going to keep up in the ante. I mean, it's like people with hundreds of thousands of followers who are saying shit like they don't want us taking hydrochloroquine because because big pharma doesn't make any money off that. I'm like, who the fuck do you think is making that drug, man? That like when it's big, like it just like I guess because you know these are the same people that are making the. Uh, it's the like they're writing a page of a comic book every day, dude. <laughs> I just had I just have to do like a mental check on myself every now and again because sometimes it's hilarious. You know, I follow a lot of these um, Twitter accounts that are have like. Have you that. noticed? Sorry, can I ask? Have you noticed yeah. this? So there's this big purge on Twitter of these Q accounts. Yeah. Have you noticed? Are there actually accounts you don't? Are they gone or is it just all? Talk. So I don't really, I don't really get that deep into it. Like what I do is I follow, like I follow a few people who keep tabs on the QAnon people themselves, who are like more journalists. And I, and I don't, I don't follow any QAnon people, but there's like, there's one or two that I heard about as being at, at the top of the community. And every once in a while, I'll go to their Twitter page and just see what they've said recently. Now, when I went. You know, and I just refuse. I, I'm not going to say their names or their Twitter handles because right, those right. People. But like, but like one of them. There's really one that I go to to just check on what what they're saying, um, and then I just like follow journalists uh, for the most part. But this person has been posting like you know uh, lots of screen grabs of his comrades who have been. Uh, suspended or deleted. So it does seem like, yes, a lot of people in the community are being suspended and deleted. Um, and, and like, you know, and some of them, it seems, are talking less about Q or they're trying to use code. They're just like, they're they're moving to other places to talk about Q. Um, yeah, so it's like the, the three things they're doing is one, talking about things that are not outlawed yet on Twitter or whatever. So they're talking about other stuff. Um, And then they're doing like Patreons and they have their private channels and they have private groups and they're going to other like websites and blah, blah. And then they're also just, uh, um, yeah, like for example, like one thing I've seen is a lot of them are like, here are all of my other social media accounts if I disappear all of a sudden off Twitter. So they're, you know, they're coming up with contingencies. I think you're just going to find that they're going to migrate somewhere else. Um, Probably. And also just do private stuff. Like I know some of them, like I said, have Patreons and they'll have private videos. Like we'll se- I'll send you this video or we'll do like they're doing Zooms and shit together, you know? So um, it does hurt. They're, um, they consider themselves digital warriors, um, their, their term. And it's, a, it's, it's an important part of their lives to try and get everyone to um, buy in. It's called The Great Awakening. Um, 
man, it's just it's just a crazy. It's one of the one of the many things making me depressed. They're the they're calling everyone who wears a mask a sheep. Meanwhile, their slogan is "Where we go, one we go all." I'm like, that is literally what a sheep. Does. No irony with those people at all. There is no irony, and it can be really sad, man. Like they, you know, see, sometimes you see them talking about alienating friends and family members because some of them take that great awakening shit seriously and so at every holiday party or every time they see their family you know there's one guy was talking about my wife's divorcing me because she can't stand me talking about QAnon anymore and everyone in the community is like we you know we're your family now it's it's a cult i mean it's cult it's cultish it's it's cult-esque you know, I'm not a cult expert, so I should maybe be careful about labeling, but it seems like a cult to me. Yeah, you know, and then there's people making it's money off of it. the latest one. There's people making money off of it, you know. I like went I to said, the Pat- a cult. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went to the Patreon page of uh, one of the one of the QAnon people because I was just curious what they were making, and I, I couldn't find a number, but it said that they had 680 patrons, you know, and... Uh, their lowest um, fee, I think, was like three bucks. I don't know. Maybe some people can pay a dollar. I don't really know how the Patreon works. But assuming that every single one of those 680 people are paying the lowest, the lowest uh, entry fee, which is three bucks. I mean, this is a dude making $1,800 more, $2,000 a month just being crazy and telling people not to take vaccines. Well, I mean, whatever. Alex Jones apparently makes millions. Although I'm just convinced he's the king of the he's the king of the hill, though. I mean, he's the king of the hill. But like, let's say I don't know exactly how much he makes per year, but let's say he makes ten million. I'm convinced that eight million of that is just money being funneled to him from people like Eric Prince. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. They're just like the, the you know he'll just suddenly get a bulk order of like two thousand supplement packs off of his website. You know, it seems like. It seems like the formula is pretty clear. There's a bunch of people at the top who maybe some of them believe it, maybe some of them don't. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is making that money and living happy, comfortable. They know how to sell it for sure. They know how to sell it and they make money off of it. And then you have the true believers. And then you have people like Eric Prince who are just in it to, um, to fuck with their political opponents and to get more power and maybe just to enjoy the chaos of it. I mean, God, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a worse place to be than like a Thanksgiving dinner at the Prince household. Can you imagine like what is, what is said at a table with Eric Prince and Betsy Devos and all those people? I feel like it's like a scene out of that HBO show succession. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Except, except worse. Like they're worse. worse. You know, no one, no one in uh, the, no one in succession had a private army, as uh, as you pointed out in the past. It's true. The DeVos Prince get-togethers are—they uh, must be quite the quite the family affair. It's very difficult for me to understand. You know, like there's, you know, evil. Like I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what they say and what they do is just terrible and makes the world a much worse place. But like, do they? Do they, you know, I mean, it's got to be, they're basically like all a bunch of like little Ayn Rands running around, you know, that look down at the lower classes and look down at minorities, truly believe that their blood 
and their their intellect puts them above other people that they're chosen and that like you know we've got to form society in the best way for us so that it doesn't fall apart with all the neanderthals below us i mean that's just what it seems like yeah, it, it's depressing to me I mean, you know like family members of mine have said the soros thing like it took a couple years for it to get to them but like and i don't they don't believe that george soros is behind every horrible thing in the world but they're like oh yeah he's definitely part of funding the protests and I'm like, dude, yeah, he gave some money to Black Lives Matter. What the fuck are you talking about? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like, I, I think that's a good example of people that harbor, you know, they harbor anti-Semitic feelings. And they would never say that their criticism of George Soros is anti-Semitic. But, you know, that's definitely part of it. You know, it's just so irrational. Um, I just don't think some people even think about it. They just hear it over and over. They see it on TV. It eventually, you know, some of it's just, I mean, yes. Right, no, because they're dog whistles. Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, 100%. There's a lot of anti-Semitism there, but it's also just, you know, that a lie told enough times, you know, just it's disappointing. Just going back to the main theme of today's show, that the world is very depressing. And we haven't even talked about, you know, the protest movement and the fact that, you know, everything that Black Lives Matter and the movement for Black Lives is trying to do is uh, pretty much resulting in getting uh, a couple of high schools changing their names. It's amazing. Washington football team. It's amazing to see all these players just kneeling, you know, the managers kneeling, all the players kneeling, (laughs) you know, um, it's like, wow, that got co-opted in a hurry. Um, yeah, but, I, I mean, mean God, hopefully, I, hopefully it's for good, you know. Hopefully it's for good, but um, it's I a think long though, fight. I it's think a that's long the struggle. It's not a, it's not a short struggle. You know, it may be co-opted, and like, is it going to change anything? Just because actually tonight, the every single member of the of the Yankees and Washington Nationals, um, every single member of the team and the coaching staff, they all kneeled um, you during know, the anthem or separate from the anthem. That's a great question. I don't know. Because um, I think that's another but, way that they're co-opting it, but not the Yankees in particular. I just mean. I believe they kneeled right before the national anthem. You know, um, like good patriots. Well, the one, th- the one thing I'll say is this. Like, yeah, like, does it, like, what does it mean? Is it helpful? Is it co-opted? You know, I, I don't know if it's all that helpful. I will say this, though. If, you know, is is having a bunch of uh, athletes with Black Lives Matter on their uniforms going to fix systemic racism? No, of course not. But it's but it's not bad to do that at the same time that you have the president and other people, you know, wanting to call Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization. No, it's certainly part of a social change for sure. For sure, the, the performative stuff can certainly be helpful when the Republicans and the far right are being very performative and even more so to show them that like all these people, you know, you know, support it. Now, whether or not we can dig into, are they giving money to it? Do they even know what systemic racism is? Do they care about real change? Who knows? I I would love to be, you know, on an owner's call when they discuss or do an interview with every owner and every, in every, in all the sports leagues and just ask them one question, what does black lives matter mean to you? And I think you'd get the most interesting answers, but at the same time they recognize as a, 
you know, as a business and a public-facing, community-oriented business whose workforce is predominantly black, that there are certain realities to that experience that they, you know, when they saw a guy get his life snuffed out on TV, they were, you know, that had an impact. And they were like, okay, we have to change some shit, and that's good. I, I don't think in the 1940s there was a lot of athletes that were against segregation, but by the 1960s there were. You know, so I'm talking about white athletes. What do you think, uh, since we're, again, on the theme of being incredibly depressed, um, where do you stand on uh, everyone talking about how close we potentially are? Like, people are saying this is a test run. Trump wants to see how the country reacts to using his Gestapo to uh, to fuck with Americans. Um, and if people don't care enough, he'll roll it out even further. And this is all connected to him potentially not leaving office, no matter what the election results say, and declaring a medical emergency. Where do you stand on how close we are to Trump actually becoming a dictator? Seems like um, a nice way to end an evening talking about depressing shit. I think it's a little overwrought. Um, I, that's not to say it isn't a rational concern. Yeah. But I think it's returning to a lot of policing tactics from the 50s and 60s when you had, and before that, when you had COINTELPRO. You know, when you had J. Edgar Hoover running the FBI, what, you don't think the feds were messing around and all kinds of things? Yeah. And it seems like we had some reform and we got away from that. And I think this is sort of going back to that period. Yeah, I certainly, I, you know, I don't, I don't think Trump is going, if Trump loses the election, I think he's going to be gone. You know, I don't think he's going to try to retain power. I don't see Trump as actually becoming a dictator. But I, I think it's very important that people talk about it. I think it's every, very important. I mean, I think every time you break a norm... Yeah, you're it, it has ripple effects, you know? I mean, you do wonder about the Democrats who are sitting there, like, if we get in charge of this thing, you know, how far should we push it? I, you know, I think we kind of live in a police state, you know, and a lot, for a lot of us who are white and middle class, it doesn't affect us. And it's really hard to see how these cops that Trump is sending to these cities, it'll, that will affect us, you know? But for people that want to protest, for you know, poor black and brown people that are, you know, going to be facing even more economic adversity than white Americans. And there's going to be a reaction to that. I mean, I think it's going to have an effect on them and it's very scary, um, but it's not new to America. You know, it's not due to America. Um, I think we're a long way away from like Trump arresting John Oliver, you know, or Bill Maher. Um, but for people in the streets, uh, yeah, I think they're they're already kind of paying a price with their with their health and welfare and safety, but they were paying a price from the cops in their own communities too. So I do so I do think people are being overwrought about it, but I I think that also sells papers these days. I think that's what concerns me about what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast of Trump getting reelected because I think if you hate Trump, you live in a world where all the news you get is basically reinforces that there's no way that this guy can get reelected. There's no way. It has to either be cheating or fraud or the Russians or something, because there's no way Americans could vote for this guy. And yeah, all those things are in play too. I, you know, I'm not saying that there isn't some reality to, to some of that, but I think it is 
it's in a weird way. It's what this whole stupid cancel culture argument is about. It's the only thing that some of these people are saying that's in any way rational is like that the press is sort of so corporatized and speech is sort of so corporatized um, that people, when they hear stuff that's uncomfortable, they don't act like good consumers. So we always want to give them information that sort of makes them happy and pleases them. It doesn't challenge anybody's worldview. And it's very successful and profitable for a lot of people. And I don't just mean the people that own newspapers. I mean, you know, people like to create this environment that's free of these voices they don't want to hear, you know, that tell them something that challenges their worldview to some extent. And I think, you know, people talk about the fact that reporters were seeing, you know, very little enthusiasm for Hillary in 2016, but they weren't reporting it. They were just reporting what Hillary's press secretary said, that we had a rally in Wisconsin and we did this here and we did that here. And they just wrote it all down and said, yeah, there's enthusiasm for Hillary. And it turns out there, there wasn't and there was real problems. And I, and I worry about that right now. You know, I, I certainly want to be wrong and I want Trump to get defeated soundly. But I do worry that it's very hard for us to get away from the perspectives that we like right now. It's like the media is set up to be delivered to us that way. And I, I worry about the ramifications of that. Well, we started on a depressing note and we've ended on a even more depressing note. I think on our next episode, we'll talk about something happy just to take a break. Jeff, thanks for joining me again on The Friends You Wish You Had. It's been a pleasure, Roman, to join you. And thank you to our many, many viewers, listeners. Subscribe. Thank you. To, subscribe today. Subscribe. Because you might not be able to. Trump might soon. shut it all down. Yeah, shut it all down. <laughs>